Paul the Pussy Panda places pecans perfectly. Pretty Princess Paula the Pussy Panda places pecans perfectly. Pretty Princess Paula poop potato portions post haste. Not the chuddle. Chuddle. This movie sounds awful. I'm sorry, guys. Surprise! Whoa. Touching butts. Kinky. Creepy pasta. Please. Enough. Can't say Teddy Sweetie three times or else. Don't mention his name. Pasticle. A Ouija version of the stranger. Oh, that's fantastic. Hey. hey. Out of the mist and into the fog, it's Chuddle the Pod. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Chuddle the Pod, where three best friends take a look at the curious world around us. And what do I mean by the curious world around us? Well, We like to take a dive into movies, music, mystery, and history, dabbling in the morbid, monstrous, murderous, and menacing, and almost always touching the world of the macabre. On today's episode, we beam ourselves to the creepy files, where I take us deep into the Rindlesham Forest. And as always, those beautiful voices you hear chiming in are my lovely co-occupants of the pod. You can go ahead and follow him at Chuddle the Ross on Instagram and Slasher. How are you doing, buddy? (laughs) <laughs> full poly sure on that but all right i'm doing i'm doing quite well um i uh i have been uh dual wielding most of my viewing stuff uh since we had our little resident evil mini i have actually been getting into resident evil and i've been enjoying it so far i'm okay, like good. a third it's, of the way through i think it's most people seem to what go towards the other direction on liking it it seems like but i i, I see a a, a bit of mix of it when I go on to slasher of what people are saying too. So who knows that if I'll get a season two. Yeah. I think uh, <laughs> it'll make interesting conversation for our super secret hunk episode that will be exclusively on YouTube. Exactly. Whenever that happens and you have to put in the proper code to actually access it. So yes, which the proper code will be available on Patreon. <laughs> yes. Or discord. We might be something. Yeah. It'll be the, it'll be a weird emoji thing. Again. We don't have Patreon. Not yet. Not yet. We'll oh, figure it out. Close, close. We're close. so close. We're almost there. I feel like we're almost there. And that other voice, voice, voice? <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> hanging out in the shadows, a shadow voice. You can follow him <gasps> at Chuddle the Sam on Instagram and Slasher. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's good to have you here. It's good to have you. Thanks. It's good to be here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm very distracted by like a plethora of background noises going on right now. Oh. So that's where all my attention is at the moment. I'm wondering how much the mic is picking up. I like Ross is very intrigued by. <laughs> oh, yeah, really? <laughs> it's like a, a, a cacophony of, uh, of chaos at your house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, we can, uh, I guess we'll, we'll shuttle away from, we'll take the shuttle shuttle away from Sam for a little bit while he figures out the noises and jump over to me. I'm at shuttle the Brian with a Why? on Instagram and slasher. You can follow me there. I'm doing pretty well. Thank you for, for asking me. Hey. Brian. Hey, Brian, how are you doing two minutes ago? <laughs> oh, hey, thanks. I'm doing pretty great. Just hanging out. I got Rindlesham on the brain. I went Ooh. wild into this one here. So I don't know anything about this. That's what's going to be interesting. There's not there's there's a, there's a lot here to unpack. And I guess the less you know, the more interesting it should be going along the way. Yeah. So we'll we'll definitely be obviously getting into that very soon. Otherwise, lately, not much has been going on for me. I did go and see Nope. Not going to say much about it because I know it's uh, fresh for a lot of people. When this comes out, it might not be as fresh, but still just keeping it at that. And then mm-hmm. otherwise, like I said, putting a lot of time in this, getting excited for future projects. 
as well. That sounds so good. Oh, I guess speaking also mildly fresh, not as fresh when this is going to drop, but uh, I finally got to see Black Phone. Oh, good. And thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, enough that I'm going to foretell it now. There will be a full episode on Black Phone. <laughs> like, I, I enjoyed it. All right, it he wants to do All right, yeah. I mean, I'm down. I know Sam wants to see it, and I'm sure, well... We'll, we'll talk about it after that. And you can be sure to follow all of us at Turtle the Pod on Instagram and Slasher as well. That's where we post about new episodes coming up. That's where we talk about shit that's happened in the episodes. Mm-hmm. And especially if you want to get even more into that type of chat and then other random shit as well, go into our Discord where you can find the info for that in our uh, info down below or I guess it's always below on your little podcast menu. I don't yeah. think they ever put it above. But um, in case for some reason you forget to do that, forget to go to any of it, go over to chuddlethepod.com for all the info you could ever need. And don't forget to rate and review us on Spotify and Apple as well. That'd be dope. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break before we get into the thick, thick, thick of it with the Rendlesham Forest incident in this week's creepy file hey we're back thank you so much to our kind sponsor for those lovely words of encouragement so as we mentioned before the break we are going to jump over to the creepy files which is my segment where i take us into the world of all things creepy pasta urban legend maybe some truth but definitely has a whole shroud of mystery behind it yeah so that's what we're going to get into today here now i'm pretty sure neither of you are familiar with our subject matter at hand um ross Mm. has expressed he's not i don't know if sam knows anything about this so very loosely i googled it and read a few sentences all right so let's just go ahead and get into it in the early morning hours of december 26th 1980 A security detail patrolling RAF Woodbridge saw bright lights descend silently into Rendlesham Forest. What transpired next is considered England's best documented case of an encounter with an unknown object. It's time to close your eyes and open your mind as we dive into the creepy files. Today's episode takes us into the Rendlesham Forest in England, and it's in this area um, of called Suffolk, and it's kind of close to a shoreline, so not really beachy type, but like <laughs> around that area mm-hmm. that comes off into our forest. And there's these two two kind of main bases here in this forest, and I said it's RAF Woodbridge is one of them and the RAF is a Royal Air Force base. So oh, okay. basically these bases were originally set up by the Royal Air Force as like a way for during World War II essentially. So when okay. planes were coming back over, it was a quick place for them to land from when they're flying over from Germany if they're all like shot up and shit <laughs> where they can get, yeah. you know, repaired and all that. They're also the big thing in this area too is that they did a lot into the development of radar, oh. which ultimately led to long range radar and all that stuff and the radar was originally supposed to be a like a death ray that they were developing and then they figured out (laughs) that it actually detected things and not you know blew them up or whatever the hell they were trying to do awesome Awesome. (laughs) exactly right so that kind of all goes on in this area and then after world war ii i guess you know i don't want to say calms down or whatever we get uh the cold war starts to 
bubble up and everything. And then the U.S. is able to move into these bases. So at oh. this time in 1980, and I forget where they were. It was definitely before this too. There's this is like a U.S. base in anticipation of you know anything that were to go on in case the Cold War happens. It's a good vantage point basically mm-hmm. one of the other big things maybe to note is the fact that there could it's never been confirmed about this but it could have held nuclear warheads and oh that would be like a big thing obviously in terms of like your proximity yeah. to russia in the cold war the when we were just war. like yeah exactly it's cold <laughs> so it was never confirmed nor denied type of thing about yeah. if it had it there but if it did that can you know lend some some something to what has been going on so to really get into it we'll just start with the beginning of like <laughs> and the the accounts of this my main sources for this came from a book called encounter in rendlesham forest the inside story of the world's best documented ufo incident by nick pope and actually two of the people that are in this story helped con- tribute to that oh, wow. and then i went over to another website by this guy called ian ridpath he is like he has a thing called the rendlesham forest ufo case and it's a very um it's it's a much more skeptics view of everything that happens but yeah, we'll sure. definitely jump into that but let's get into the main story because that's where the real fun stuff is here so at about 3 a.m on december 26th the morning, like the early morning of mm-hmm. John Burroughs was on patrol near the east gate of RAF Woodbridge. And this is when he spots strange lights in the forest. So he describes them as a red and blue light, uh, one on top of the other. And it was kind of out past and towards what they called the east gate, sometimes referred to as the back gate. Now, Another thing to notice, since we're on a military base, everything is very militarized and they have a chain of like order that they have to follow to do anything here. And Mm -hmm. being the fact that they're also on foreign soil to go off the base is like, you know, you have to definitely alert people because you're essentially going into So this is a U.S. officer. This is like, when when is this? What year is this? 1980. So Christmas time, 1980. It's cold. It's like, you know, dreary, gray England. Yeah. England. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not the most fun time here, but it's like, yeah, literally a day after Christmas. John Burroughs is the guy's name, and he is out on just doing his guard patrol. And this is when he sees seemingly lights. He spots something strange mm-hmm. at the East Gate. So he calls it in. He alerts his supervisor, Staff Sergeant Bud Steffens. And to be honest, I'm not sure where bud steffens is i could never find it with any of my sources if he like came to john or if they were kind of on patrol together in the same area but eventually so it bud steffens and john burroughs are hanging out bud steffens decides to alert someone else yeah, send it up the chain of command yes essentially yeah. that i have a shit ton like i would I, I should take a picture like i didn't do like the red lines connecting everything but i was <laughs> almost ready to get to that point with this shit that's going on here of trying to like wow. <laughs> get through everyone's stories and figure figure out the the best narrative to this mm-hmm. so stefan's and burrows hanging out the men think it could be a downed aircraft so Ooh, they decide 
it could be i mean it's right after uh, christmas yeah. santa's going back i guess maybe yeah. he's going over just taking the scenic route or something santa, i don't know where santa ends santa fucked around and found out and he got <laughs> shot down outside of a military base in england they think it might be a down something so for some reason they don't alert any of their superiors quite yet they immediately go out and see if it's if it's down something if it's a security threat in any aspect so they open the gate and they actually start driving to investigate it and then while they're driving they see a third white light so they've seen the red and the blue light Mm -hmm. now they're seeing a third white light and at one point it appears to move towards them and i think this is when that they decide we just need to be going back to the base and report this properly (laughs) and get things you know like set off in the right way things are going a little weird here once back at the guard shack burrows uses a landline to call here's where we get our chain of custody burrows uses a landline to call law enforcement duty desk sergeant sergeant crash mccabe to explain what was happening wait hold on sorry what was the man's name (laughs) sergeant crash mccabe (laughs) <laughs> he's gonna handle shit. i mean crash cr- crashes is like you know nickname but this is definitely you know the military in the 80s everyone's got some we awesome. got bud we got crash bud and crash <laughs> all these like nicknames i'm in i'm into it I, i'm like i'm just picturing like police academy and this is the character list coming down. <laughs> yeah it's 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 full of uh good characters we'll say so mccabe also suspects that it could be a down aircraft or a crash or whatever it is security threat there's like two main things that they they kind of keep going through in their heads it could either be something's down and needs help or it could be a security issue where we need to address it because you know i don't know the russians are coming or something so mccabe calls the central security control staff sergeant john coffee coffee calls on duty flight chief at raf woodbridge staff sergeant james peniston and James Peniston is going to become one of our big main players in this whole ordeal here. So Peniston's told to go to the East gate with his driver, Edward Cabinsag, but is not really briefed on the situation. He's just like, just go there. I think in the book, there's a point where it's like Peniston mentions that he was like annoyed by this or something. Cause they're like, just go out and do this thing. He's like, why aren't you telling me what's going on? So he takes his driver. They drive out. Burroughs and Steffens are waiting at the gate when Peniston and Cabin Sag (laughs) arrive, and then they brief him on the situation. Basically, we saw some lights out in the forest, and then we saw this other light. We don't know what it is, but something's going on out there that we're not used to. Steffens apparently makes the remark, it didn't crash, it landed. And the other thing, and the big thing to point out here is these are, Peniston is like in control of like base security. Like he's a, he's a upper level military guy. A bunch of these guys are, are not just low level grunt type people either. Mm -hmm. A few of them go on to have long careers in the military. So the reason people like this, this scenario in this case so much is there is a certain amount of credibility to right, the people that are reporting on this. Hick, essentially. Like, yeah, well, I was out doing this, and then all of a sudden, out of the sky, came out while I was shooting my shotgun at my pumpkin patch. So, 
we we we've got kind of Stefan's Burrows, Peniston, and Cabin Sag are at the East Gate. Peniston calls into Central Security Control and speaks to the flight chief for both bases. So both okay. bases, there's RAF Woodbridge, and the other one is called RAF Bentwaters. Bentwaters is above Woodbridge, and they're both okay. kind of like touching the forest, which would say, call it to the east of the bases, more or less, and it kind of Mm-hmm. moves over oh, the so they're forest adjacent for some reason i was picturing they made like a big clearing in the middle of forests <laughs> where they had I mean, the bases. right they partially go into them and, and when i say forest it's not like a large large in terms of like land area but like just like it is a pretty dense english forest more or less yeah so it's like small and smallish chunks because eventually you'll see there's like farmland areas there's more open areas around it but gotcha. this main area encompasses the bases a little bit and it was always described as like a, a creepy eerie woods area nobody liked being stationed at this base because it was spooky essentially because oh. <laughs> of those darn spooky woods yeah spooky woods will spook you out so this every this whole time everyone is going under the assumption still that it's just uh, probably some sort of downed aircraft. Mm-hmm. Peniston called in the central security control, spoke, spoke to Master Sergeant Chandler. Chandler checks the aircraft activity of Bentwaters. So he starts calling around to see if anyone picked anything up on radars. Mm-hmm. Radar. Someone else starts oh, placing... On death ray. The radars. Yeah, yeah, on the death ray. Someone else, I guess, placed calls to RAF Bodsey and RAF Watton. And Heathrow Airport. So two other bases and Heathrow Airport. What they found out is that a bogey had been tracked about 15 minutes previously, but disappeared from radar directly over Woodbridge Base. Oh, fuck. So at this point, they're like, it's the Russians. Like, suit up. (laughs) Well, I mean... What's up, Ivan? Presumably, (laughs) they're still thinking that there's something did it, but they still, for I don't know. It just in what I was reading, they still seem to think that it was either a downed aircraft or that's the story that's being presented. Sure. Chandler gives Peniston the okay to continue the event, the investigation. So Peniston requests backup, and Chandler himself decides to come. Uh, so at this point, we have Peniston, Burroughs, and Cabin Sag. They drive out into the forest, and Stefans, as far as I can tell, stayed behind. Okay. Because they were going to start setting up like an almost a, a relay for their radios to work better. Because we have Peniston, Burroughs, and Cabin Sag. They take um, the same route that they started to take in the original. Not the original. When they first went out before they called anything in. Yeah. Which is this route here. So we'll definitely post links to these photos and everything. But I have photos that I'm showing to the the guys here i could tell why people that are like ufo stories would totally grab onto this i mean the the amount of witnesses and then also like the amount of communication recorded mm-hmm. on this must be staggering so yeah there yeah exactly there's a lot of documentation there there's it's just yeah everyone you, you you nailed it that's why people love this one here yeah <laughs> and like this photo shows here is kind of a path that they take so they leave the east gate head east down like a service road they take a right just a couple hundred yards then take another left and they start moving through the woods there's like a little bit of a, a road path there but then it just starts to become i guess you know too bumpy and overcome with trees so they have to yeah. leave the vehicle and get out there 
at a certain point in this story, depending what sources you're looking into and who you're reading it from, the stories mm-hmm. can start to kind of wave and change around a little bit. But okay. basically, as best as I can tell, Peniston and Burroughs and Cabin Sag leave the Jeep and start pursu- going on foot towards, well, they start seeing the lights and they start mm-hmm. moving towards that. They're seeing the red, blue, white, and yellow lights. That's how Cabin Sag describes them. Oh, dear. At- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was one more color, right? Now they're seeing yellow. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, it is another another color added to the light. So at this point, Chandler arrives in another jeep and arrives to where the vehicle was. And like I said, th- this is when the stories start to kind of change a little bit because Chandler says when he arrived, Peniston, Burroughs, and Cabin Sag had already entered the wooded area just beyond the clearing at the access road. Cabin Sag says that Chandler was already there when they arrived in their Jeep. So Mm. two different stories, but basically they're all saying that these are the people that are here. This is important because on this night, four men enter the forest and all come back with different memories of what happens next. Oh, shit. At this point, all four men's radios start getting interference or are malfunctioning. They describe it as both different ways, but... Basically, they all say that happened, though. Yes, they're not able to communicate. So what they do to combat this is that they set up that kind of relay I was speaking of. Chandler goes back to the vehicles while the other three push forward. So the other three, it's a shorter distance between them all. I guess they figured out that it seemed like longer distances weren't relaying the communications. Cabin Sag at this point, they're, they're moving forward and Cabin Sag starts to lose contact with Chandler, so he stays put, and Peniston and Burroughs move ahead. Got it. So they're continuing to start, you know, keeping, like, these points going forward. Oh, weird. Now things get really weird. Yeah, good good observation, Ross, because it gets really weird at this point. (laughs) Peniston describes that the air around him starts to feel like it's filled with static electricity. The hairs on his neck and his back start standing up. And then he also says that it was difficult to walk. Like they were like almost walking through like swampy, muddy water or something like that. Like a but bog they were or something like that. But they were the, the ground is very hard and cold. It's the middle of winter it, and it's not like a swampy area or anything like that, too. So mm-hmm. Ew. at this point as well, the lights were ahead of him and they were getting brighter. Then they finally reached a small clearing. And as they approached, there's like this, as he described, a silent explosion of light. And instinctively, they drop to the ground. You know, just like, yeah, something exploded, we're dropping. That's smart. I would have been like, what is that? <laughs> Lean into it. Like, what? I don't know what I'm huh? looking at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably would have too. Peniston at this point realizes... I'm not hurt. Nothing really exploded. Everything's okay. So he gets up and he sees that. Here's where it gets money. Uh, even more money. While he's up, he looks over and sees Burroughs, who's, I believe, about 10 feet behind him to his left or so. But Burroughs is engulfed in a huge beam of light that's coming from above. Oh. Then Peniston saw... Wait, hold on. He... So, wait, who got fire in the sky? So Burroughs is getting fired in the sky right now. Uh, seemingly just standing in a beam of light. Then Peniston saw that what had first appeared to be a sphere of light in front of him had dissipated and now had the appearance 
of a craft of some sort. Oh, okay. All right. We talking like a... Does he describe it? Yeah, this is this is Penison's description of what he saw. Okay. Four Gath witches. It was about three... Me, what? The craft. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, it was four witches. Four teenage witches performing a ritual. <laughs> On one giant broom. It was about three meters high and maybe three meters across at the base. The craft was roughly triangular in shape and appeared to be hovering just above the ground or perhaps resting on legs at each edge of the object, as if it was on a tripod. It had a bank of blue lights on its side and a bright white light on top. There was no sound whatsoever. So he kind of, yeah, describes this, this, like a, like a I little believe he calls it like a, a bubble field. <laughs> it's like a, so th- it's three, you said three meters by three meters. So like nine mm-hmm. feet by nine feet. It's like a personal craft triangle. Like yes. basically like, okay. All right. More so or like less. A, okay. Yeah. And it's just kind of like sitting there. It's got some blue lights going around. It's got this bright white light on the top of it. And Peniston always carried around what they call a police notebook, so a tiny little notebook. He takes this out, and this is when he starts taking some sketches and writing some notes on everything. And this is his little sketch that he did of it, which is kind of this Amazing. triangular shape of yeah. whatever the hell this thing is. It's got yeah, top it's view, front view, top side piece. view. Yeah. yeah. It's a triangle, looking at it from the top. Now I will say... There is some discrepancy because there is an official after the incident report that was taken where he draws something in that that looks slightly different to what this is here. But this seems to be ultimately the shape of what is just like keeps being described as the ship here. In the center, is that like a fin or is that like a little? Yeah, it's supposed to have like, yeah, like little almost fins looking things. Okay. Yeah. So this is he's he's taking notes. He's looking at this thing. He approaches the object and notices what he calls best look like Egyptian hieroglyphs. And these are a a picture of what those look like, basically. Kind of, I don't know, sketches of some sort of symbols that he sees on the side of the craft here. Alien language looking shit. (laughs) Yeah, it looks like sci-fi alien language. If you've seen a sci-fi movie with alien language, Uh this is what it looks like. (laughs) At this point, Peniston gathers the courage to touch the object, in which he describes it as hard and smooth like opaque black glass basically so it's super super slick there's like no seams in it or anything like that super smooth now when he touches the symbols themselves though unlike the rest of the craft the symbols had a rough feeling almost like sandpaper he describes it as oh weird Hmm. okay so there's just this nine foot tall college student art installation in the middle of the woods and they're just I just I like the fact there's so much documentation on this and the symbols honestly do look like something that just like directly out of Star Wars yeah yeah any any of the star replaces Star Trek Wars any <laughs> star bars battle whatever. gates star battle. gates battle stars any of them there's an alien language in it it probably looks like this to some extent so as Peniston's touching the symbols the white light above at the the, the top of the ship starts getting super super bright so he touches one it like almost blinds him or it does blind him temporarily and it takes his hand off of it and notices obviously that it dims down again so 
some time goes by and then the craft he describes it as slowly lifts off the ground and he talks about it being like two to three minutes where it's slowly just lifting off the ground and like moving between the trees because it, the trees are all it's a tight packed area this isn't a little bit of a clearing but it's still relatively you know yeah toit like a tiger also noting that no noise he's not hearing there's no this thing isn't making any noise so once it's cleared the trees it took off in an instant so it rises up i think about 12 feet or so and then just like shoots away peniston describes it as speed impossible <laughs> oh impossible ludicrous speed <laughs> impossible <laughs> i yeah, guess it's went, just a slightly above plaid. ludicrous speed yeah yeah yeah. exactly they went plaid now going back to burrows so after the burst of light and when they threw themselves to the ground burrows recalls seeing something different he recalls seeing a red oval sun-like object in the clearing but does not recall any sort of craft so weird two different oh. variations now like yeah but he's farther back as well okay and just seeing this yeah red oval sun-like for burrows this experience lasted only a few seconds he says while peniston felt that many minutes had gone by so peniston is oh, having a dear. much longer experience so while Burroughs is just like, whoa, that's weird. Okay, so it's like, <laughs> um, real quick. shit, what is, uh, Contact with Jodie Foster, like, where she goes through the dome thing, and then for oh, her, sure. yes. it's a huge amount of time, but for the outside world, it was like, like, like it dropped right through, like nothing two happened. Two seconds, exactly. Exactly. So that's essentially what we got going on here. We got one person saying a lot of time has passed, one saying, like, only a little bit of time has passed, and... Oh. Wormhole. This encounter essentially ends at this point. So Burrow sees the, the light fly away or whatever. And then Peniston sees that same thing. But Burroughs never sees the actual ship. He only just ever sees a light. Okay. When this ends, Peniston and Burroughs attempt to find the object again. So they start looking around. They notice more lights out on the horizon. And at one point, they thought the object was actually moving to land again. But it eventually departed out to the east, over the coast, and just it shot away. Gone. Now, I guess, officially gone. After, uh, this is after it went speed impossible, by the way. <laughs> now, so, now, Burrow, now they decide to head back and meet up with the others. But on the way, they decide, let's go back to where this weird thing just happened just to look to see if there's any evidence or evidence of something yeah. to make sure we're not completely crazy almost hoping not to find anything so they go over there and they start looking they do notice that they find tree branches snapped off around the edge of the clearing mm -hmm. kind of going up and down the trees which you know fine tree branches get snapped off and everything they also claim to find three indentations on the ground if they were to draw a line between the marks, it would make an almost perfect equilateral triangle. So this would be the tripod landing is what they, you know, think that they're finding in this clearing area. They leave the clearing and meet with Cabin Sag, Chandler, and six other security force members. So at this point, other security other personnel of the base had shown up where chandler and them were hanging out at the vehicles from here they all head back to raf bentwaters which was considered i guess the main operating base between the two and this is where we find out about 
more of the missing time. Uh, Penniston and Burroughs had been gone and out of... They thought they were gone for maybe, I think, about 15 minutes or so. Okay. When they find out that they get back, they were actually gone for about 45 minutes. The plot thickens. <laughs> Burroughs said he confirms both of the missing time and the exact figure by the fact is our watchers were both behind and the shift commander said we were missing for 45 minutes. Oh. Do they have wristwatches or anything like that? Or are their wristwatches like... Yeah, that's what he was saying. Times. He was saying that their watches were behind. So their wrist yeah, watches. Okay. There were their pocket watches. So yeah, they had um, the time on their watches was all screwy. Chandler and like was almost freaking out and all those people because they were trying to get in radio contact with him as well. All this time yeah. was going by. They weren't hearing anything back from him. They were almost sending another search party out to go look for him. And then they eventually come back. There was a bunch of formalities to go through, so this is when they sign a bunch of documents. There are some statements taken, but Burroughs and Penniston are are tired, want to go to sleep, and kind of almost be done with this and what all happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's important to note that when, I guess, when going off base, the Americans had to notify British authorities, any type of authority. So the person in the area that they did notify was the local police. So they told the local police. So there is a police report of the police going out, but their report is basically like responding to report of lights. We didn't see anything. And this is another point where I hear two parts of different stories. When I look towards the skeptic angle, they show their police report and the police report is like, we checked out this supposed landing site. We didn't see evidence of anything. It it was nothing. When I read more from the book and see other sides, there there's another police report that I didn't actually get to see where they apparently did claim that there was something weird going on. So Right, they weren't in that area. They were like, Of course you didn't say it. You're on the other side of the forest. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's all all the discrepancies and uh this book this this incident is shrouded shrouded in conspiracy as well. The hell was that mm-hmm. noise? Sorry. And at this moment, okay, so this kind of ends our first night of the weird and what there's really multiple happened. nights of weird. There's multiple nights of weird. Okay, so oh, this night shit. happens. The twelfth yeah, day kinda, of weirdness. <laughs> it's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> at this point. The morning has come, and we're going to enter Deputy Base Commander, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt. Now, he is our next kind of, I don't know, we'll say character in this story here. On the morning of December 26th, I think it was about 5 a.m., Holt comes on to duty. Now, Holt himself was a thorough and careful man. He liked to walk the grounds, and he was what was called an enlisted man's colonel. He just liked to know what everyone was doing believe that you know you were only as good as the people below you and he had to know Mm -hmm. every role and be able to you know just always around and also playing by book following the rules doing all this kind of stuff totally the straight man he comes on to shift he heads for the le desk the law enforcement desk and there's chatter laughter going on until he enters the room and you know it's like you know record scratch everyone goes quiet they're like oh shut up boss is here yeah halt's like what what's going on sergeant mccabe replies Penniston and Burroughs were out last night chasing UFOs, sir. This is when uh, McCabe was also writing up the blotter. And Holt told him, yeah, just put put that all in the blotter so that he can read it later. It's like, you know, their summary yeah. of the night. Okay. There Pick was also up. a um, security blotter being written up to. 
I find it really interesting too. I mean, I guess, you know, it's, it's also really, um, I guess refreshing that the guys that had actually had uncovered the UFO were like, this is way above like my pay grade. I don't, I just want to go to bed. I don't want it. I don't, I'm like, I don't want to look any further into this. Like I, there's, I have no need, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like instead of like the doe eyed, mm-hmm. like scale, like, Oh my gosh, we have to find the meaning of this. These guys are like, I don't know what the, I have no idea what the fuck I just saw. Um, it yeah. is way past my bedtime. I just want nobody wants this shit back. falling on them. Exactly, no, totally. There's more stuff you have to dude, deal with. Passing the buck, not is... in the bureaucracy of the military. That's yes, like a dude. <laughs> them passing the buck is the most believable thing going on <laughs> in this story, and I love it. You know how many reports a UFO is? It's <laughs> a lot of paperwork. <laughs> so many. It's a lot. So many papers. Well, that was one of the other things that people brought into question and stuff because the military has standard operating procedures for everything Mm -hmm. and officially at this point they don't have an operating procedure for ufos anymore they did with project blue book and all that kind of stuff up until the late 60s but then after Mm -hmm. that is when they officially stopped like acknowledging ufos and investigating them or having procedures for them Mm -hmm. but they're still trying to follow some chain of command apparently people when they're or mccabe and other stuff when they're writing up and talking about the the info and putting stuff into the blotter they were hesitant and sensitive and didn't want to really use the word ufo so holt actually suggested that they use the word unexplained lights okay and it wasn't until later in the day did holt actually start hearing more about what happened because he kind of you know came in and just blew it off okay that's weird whatever fine so holt tries to get both the the le and the security blotters but by this time they had somehow both gone missing or labeled secret confidential like he couldn't get a hold of these things at, anymore oh, shit. What? and apparently to this day the blotters haven't ever been found there's been no evidence of them you can't see anything of them so i don't have any good you know <laughs> follow up to that but at now on the, the base, stories and rumors are starting to spread around and people are having a great time and making jokes about it. Because, I mean, it is also like minimal staff at the base. It's Christmas time. So these yeah. are all the people that are left there and just like probably not much going on. <laughs> so let's yeah get into the UFO. Let's make fun of these guys. Yeah, this let's, is hilarious. Yeah. Let's spill that tea. At this point during the day a group is sent out to actually look at the landing sign to look for any sort of evidence. They take a whole bunch of photos and pretty much all of those photos are useless. They come back like, I forget what exactly didn't work on them, but you couldn't see shit in them. Naturally. There was one and it kind of shows it's like a pretty shitty photo. It's all black and white and it's like all scratchy looking and everything, but there's three tiny marks on it that are um, almost look like black sticks sticking out of the ground. They're circled mm-hmm. with red circles there. But those are the supposed spots where they found indentations in the ground. That's and supposed to be indentations, those black like stick Those are things? supposed to be markers of where the indentations oh, are. Oh, for, okay. Yeah, exactly. And Man, the bad. indentations, <laughs> when you look at those, are even harder to really see. I put some red lines around where like the edges of them are in these photos here, but they're interesting. Tiny like, little V-ish looking scrapes out it's like robot dirt. hooves. And that's, pr- 
yeah, th that's pretty much the evidence that they note here, and that's like most of what comes out of this initial investigation. I think they do notice as well the broken branches and whatnot, but there's not a lot of stuff going around here. I believe plaster casts are taken of these indentations as well. So now we get to pretty much the night of December 27th. So this would be the next night. On the evening of the 27th, a combat support group award dinner was taking place. The base commander, Colonel Ted Conrad, and deputy base commander, Colonel Charles Halt, were both present. During the dinner, Lieutenant Bruce England entered the premises, took Halt aside, and said, It's back. The UFO is back, sir. <laughs> At this point, Halt decided... You know, going with the chain of command, he confirms or confers with Conrad, and Conrad decides it's best to just send Holt into the forest. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> he's like, I'm going to keep hanging out here at the dinner. You go off and, you know, see what these. You figure it out. Yeah, you go figure it out. <laughs> so at this point, it's time to assemble his team. Holt needs to grab some men to go out into the woods. Because remember, Holt's like a very, like, by the book, we're going to do this yeah. right. We're going to go mm -hmm. out and strategically do this. So he grabs Lieutenant Bruce England, who's the man who came and delivered the message. Mm -hmm. Sergeant Monroe Nevels, who brought a camera and a Geiger counter. And Master Sergeant Bobby Ball, who is the on-duty flight chief. Holt, as well, brings his cassette recorder. He apparently nice. always carried this around with him and would just, like, you know... Note to self, you know, buy eggs, milk, and check out the UFO landing site. Aliens. Yeah, sure. <laughs> they, they also make a note of other odd items brought were some spare batteries, some extra cassette tapes, flashlights, radios, something called a starlight scope, which is basically like a night vision goggles, mm -hmm. but they call it starlight okay. scopes, which is pretty cool, and some utility jackets because it was cold outside. Holt also ordered something called lightalls, because he wanted to, they're basically big lights to illuminate an area. And he wanted a bunch mm, of those to start illuminating all. the fuels. They light all. But there was a problem. A whole bunch of them were, there were some that were out of gas. They were gas powered. But they're like, a bunch of them just weren't working for whatever reason. So at this point, there's like, Holt's like, I really want my light all. So there's a whole bunch of people scrambling to try to get these light alls to work. While he and his team are on the way to the the forest more or less word starts spreading around the base more at this point that the ufo is back and holt says that he's not quite sure who is actually out and looking around at things because apparently because this party was going on there's a bunch of drunk soldiers running around too so they're oh, like i want to go yeah, see the ufo <laughs> <laughs> So he's like, there could be other people running around the forest or whatever, but... So it's like the house party from Scream. Exactly. It starts getting wild, right? And yeah, people want to go see the, the coach hung from the <laughs> fucking from the, goalpost. The goalpost, yeah. <laughs> and they go out. There's actually three others there as well. Sergeant Adrian Bastenza. Bast yeah, Bastenza. Kind of like Costanza, I think it is. And Sergeant Frail. Bastenza. He's trying to get his light alls. He's got his team. They're, they're heading out to the forest, and for some reason, while they're waiting for the lights, he doesn't see anything like... He's waiting for his light alls, but they don't see any, like, you know, the UFO lights or whatever yet. He decides to head to the landing site. Now, we're not really sure why he decides to go here, but he takes his team over to the landing site. 
And this is when Hall starts to record. The tape we have available is about 18 minutes long, but Halt says there's actually four to five hours of recordings that have never been released or heard. What? And when he's kind of pressed on it, he's like, he's still like very much like, well, that's like, I guess that, that, that stuff was labeled confidential or whatever. So it's not available. And because I'm a, I'm a country man. I can't really talk about it. I'm, I'm sworn to secrecy or stuff like that. So he won't yeah. talk about what it is, but apparently there's a lot more to these tapes. So we only have 18 minutes of what happened over these four to five hours here. They're taking, they're at the landing site. They're taking Geiger counter readings and they're talking about it. You know, we got a 0.5. Oh, we just point spiked up to 0.7 or whatever. The problem with this is that, and it is seems to be pretty true is that, Everything that they're picking up at this point is pretty much background radiation, normal levels for background radiation. There's real no like <laughs> spikes of radiation going on. Mm-hmm. They're talking about it, thinking like there might be something happening, but it, it's nothing too crazy. What? Just jumped it up to like seven tenths there. Seven tenths right there in the center? Uh-huh. We found a small blast. What looks like a blasted or scrubbed up area here. We're getting very positive readings. Let's see, is that near the center? Yes, it is. This is what we would assume would be the dead center. Just thinking about more as you go along the whole area here now. And as I said, the, the, the spiking isn't too important because realistically it's not really spiking it's it's it's, it peaks for like a second but not not enough that it's that it's real any radiation level there one of the things that was noted that the skeptics point out about this is that they're using a geiger counter that's more so suited to detect radiation like after a nuclear accident so this leads to the the theory that you know there are actually nukes at this web uh, that the oh we're at just catching whiffs of it, the well uh, just normal background radiation like i don't even know if it's actually catching any of that nuclear stuff the important thing to the nuclear aspect is just to pull it away from the the, the story at the moment is that a lot of times when you look at ufo and alien ufo sightings and what they're drawn to is there's a lot of the time a big military presence so what you're saying is maybe they're attracted to nuclear presence nuclear well i mean if you think about it like if you are going to explore somewhere completely new, wouldn't you look for the smartest thing, the most like prevalent thing? I don't know. There, there, there's something to that where, you know, or check out the supposed military and the weapons or if, you know, where you're going to is a danger or anything like that. So that's what the assumption is, is that they're checking out our military to assess, you know, how powerful we are or anything like yeah. that. But they also might be attracted to the nuclear aspect because that is us essentially you know you know splitting Flexing. the atom and using you know nuclear Flexing power as a species and understanding to do that so they want to check that out as well obviously that's getting into more you know theory and thought as to why and where things are visiting but that's what a lot of the people who really believe in this story kind of hold on to it of why this base in this place is so important and why in an event would take place here so at this point we get another jump in the tape at there's 
obviously a lot of jumps in this tape because, you know, this is a five hour endeavor that takes place in 18 minutes. So Holt starts getting a little bit more methodical and basically telling his team to start from the outside and they're sweeping their way, moving in with like the guider counter, looking for any other evidence and seeing just assessing the situation in his crazy methodical way and just doing everything by the book and get taking notes this whole time. There's a lot of activity going on with the base and the lights and more people are finding out about it and getting interested in it. There's like all these, like there's like a light hype train at this point. Exactly. There's apparently people at the base that are seeing some lights. They haven't seen any lights while they're in the landing area doing their investigation. So they're out investigating while other people are seeing lights elsewhere. That's, uh, that's kind of what seems to be thrown into the narrative. Like it comes back to it later that like, we find out that there were other people seeing these lights and this shit happen Mm -hmm. because keep in mind that the original reason that they went out was to see the lights. And for some reason they're just hanging out at the landing site. Holt took them there but there's been no discussion on the tapes about lights yet mm-hmm. or or anything. So it could be in some of the missing stuff where they may have seen some lights, but that got right. cut out or whatever it is. Yeah. From here, Holt turns his attention to the trees when England states the following. Yeah. One of these trees that face into the blast, what we assume is a landing site, all have an abrasion. They're like um, experts on pine tree damage and how quickly pine would smell or be abrased. Yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently, yeah, that's what they're kind of looking at is, but they are noticing that it's all on the points where the trees are pointing into. Right. Like the, the side the, facing as if wind. Exactly. You know, yeah. Going up, they're noticing that they're broken down going up. 
and that there are these weird abrasions going on the trees. And I don't know if you notice there is a point in that message where they talk about someone wants to come out to the site and they say, no, don't tell them. Yeah, come oh, out I here noticed right that now. was, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. funny. It was like, no, we don't want anybody out here right now. Yeah. See if you can hear that a little bit better in this next clip. We don't want them out there right now. Now, did you hear who was requesting to come out there? It was no. John Burroughs. So at this point, Burroughs from the first night had returned to the base because he just felt, as he says, compelled that he needed to go back out to the landing site again. So he gets onto the base while Halt and his team are examining the site. Burroughs gets on a base trying to get back to the site. So yeah. mm -hmm. he's drawn to it. Exactly. And there's another point in the story where the day before, when that one team went out to survey the site, Penniston actually went back out to the site again and surveyed it himself and felt compelled to go out there as well. And he took his own plaster castings of the landing site and everything. So Burroughs is now apparently feeling the same kind of urge to get there. So when he arrives on base, he's greeted by Sergeant O'Brien. And O'Brien tells Burroughs that another team had actually encountered something on the same night of the 26th when he and Penniston were out in the woods. Now, this was a separate team that apparently went out, saw some lights. It was two people, I believe. And the light actually went into their car and like flew around or something crazy <laughs> and then flew away. So it was a really weird, different kind of experience, but they, someone else sure. on the base has experienced something now too. Well, now that one just sounds crazy. <laughs> that, 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 that one's nonsense, but it didn't embrace the car. <laughs> it, 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 Turned the car off and like made everything, you know, the electronics freak out and all that kind of stuff. You know, typical yeah. UFO stuff. Oh, okay. Did yeah. they lose any time? <laughs> I don't remember. To be honest, I don't remember if there was time lost involved in theirs. So we, this was just a separate incident on that first night he's just hearing about. So more people are saying weird shit is going on mm -hmm. within these couple of nights here. Burroughs decides he's he hitches a ride with what's described as two friends. And then that's when we actually hear the radio message coming in to halt. They are requesting to go to the landing okay. site. And he's like, no, we don't want anyone out here right now. We're doing our thing. Back to halt. They continue with the investigation that eventually leads halt to instruct that the starlight scope be deployed. Very strange. Welcome to the same tree. We took the sample off with this, what do you call it, star scope? Uh-huh, star scope. Get the definite heat reflection off the tree about, about three to four feet off the ground. Yes, where the, the same spot is. It's same the place where the spot is. We're getting the heat. There's a spot on the tree directly behind us. I picked up the same thing. One on to your right. Uh, look, three trees in the area, immediately adjacent to the site, within 10 feet of the suspected landing site. We're picking up heat reflection off the trees. What's that again? Well, shine a light on again, Bob. Wait, I'm trouble here. Yeah, get the light on the spot. And then when you want them, okay, turn the light on. Light, you'll notice the white. Hey. You're right. There's another white streak on the tree. It indicates, uh, Let me turn around and look at this tree over here now. Just a second. Watch push right on the tree. I can see it. 
Wait a minute, give me a little side line so I can climb the tree. Okay, off. I lost the tree. Okay, stop, stop. Light on. Hey, this is eerie. This is strange. Here, someone want to look at the spots in the ground? So, like, doing a black light in a motel, these guys put on these goggles and are finding a whole slew of stuff that they did not catch the first time around. So, yeah, exactly that. They're getting, like, heat signatures when they're looking through this on the trees that they're noticing. And then they actually notice some on the, the ground in the moment. I got another clip for you. But basically, yeah, once they put this on. So, predator vision. Yeah, they're, they're trying to get, yeah, their predator vision on to see what's going on here. So they're saying that there's still residual heat source that's in the center or of the some thing. form of energy. Yeah, he, or yeah, has he's a some oh form of energy. But oh, yeah, dude, is this the flaming ice? Oh, it could be. Is this be. flaming ice from? That'd be Mel's. fun. <laughs> from Mel's hole, they dig yeah. open. There's flaming ice underneath. Yeah, he's saying right in that center area, they're they're seeing. A, another heat source from it and then you hear at the end is when he kind of is looking up at the trees and noticing a bunch of the the broken branches that have fallen down from the trees there as if something had come off of there then we have another break in the tape and we have a only only a couple more of the audio clips here but then we get this next one here Two things to note here, obviously, is that he says the animals are making a bunch of noise. Now, there is a farm uh, across from the landing site. So if you look at this image here, it shows a circle of the landing site, the farmer's field, and then across from at the farmhouse where said animals would possibly be making noise. The thing to note, too, is that some people say it was probably too far to hear the farm animals, but other people are like, well, yeah, you're definitely hearing that because, you know, they're going crazy because the UFOs. The other thing that's to note in this clip is that they do. This is the first time we actually hear a timestamp and he says 148. So that's almost about two in the morning at this point. And then other people. So in terms of the noises, they do mention it a few times like, oh, scary, creepy sounding shit. They note later of like they would hear like what sounded like a woman screaming or something like that when it could have actually Mm. been. Yeah, that one is most likely this noise here. So this will just continue and I'll just keep letting it listen to it while I speak here. <laughs> Basically, this is something called the the Mund, Muntjac deer and they make this terrible screeching like scream yeah. like bark noise and it's could be 
for any reason, you know, animals communicate, mating, territorial, scared, any of that type of stuff. So that is definitely something that they could have been hearing at the time, which would be terrifying if you're out in the woods in the middle of the night hunting aliens mm-hmm. and you hear this fucking weird screech. Oh my God. Yeah. So basically we get that. But next is when, well, this next clip is going to be probably, I think, the longest clip. And then we have one more clip after that. So we'll just go ahead and get into it. Still steady or red in color. 
Also, after negative readings in the solar field, we're picking up the slight readings, uh, four or five clicks now on the meter. 305, we see strange uh, stroke-like flashes to the uh, rather sporadic, but there's definitely something, uh, some kind of phenomenal. 305, at about uh, 10 degrees horizon uh, directly north, we've got two strange objects, uh, half-moon shape, dancing about with colored lights on them. But uh, gets to be about five to ten miles out, maybe less. The half moons have now turned into full circles. As though there was a eclipse or something there for a minute or two. Wild. They've encountered the lights now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, all right. I might be getting this wrong from this recording, but they started in the farmer's field. Mm-hmm started getting chased by the lights because it went from 150 yards to like 200 something yards and then they say they were in the secondary field still like getting pursued by these lights that turned into two lights and the two lights turned into crescent moons that turned into circles they're describing a lot of different things going on yeah the lights are splitting off one of them seems to have like yeah pieces of it falling off of it now one thing to note there is a point in the very beginning where they start talking about the lights and there's a guy that's like, there it is. And then they wait about five seconds and then like, it's like, I see it again. Now, the one of the number one things that people like to talk about with these lights is that at about, I believe, five miles east, there is a lighthouse. That was mm. probably what they were first seeing. That explains one of the lights, at least. Okay. The one that mm-hmm. like every five seconds, that would have been the interval at which the light would have passed over them and they would have been able to see it from where they were in the forest. Okay. But it doesn't explain the other lights, basically. So yeah, all of them start kind of flying around, doing all these weird stuff. It doesn't, I don't know if it's necessarily pursuing them, but it is definitely coming up to them and and getting close enough then it, it, it goes away splits away does a few various different things and there's only one more clip basically left of this our recordings but you did hear also throughout that the time i believe they say about two two forty something 305 happened so yeah. it is moving through the night when we had originally you know one something like that so obviously a bunch of shit missing from it so we'll go ahead and play the last tape and then talk about that fire in the sky everywhere now it's just it's just just hitting that beam and just beaming everybody it's just dancing around and being looking like look what i can do here's a beam over here and it ends with being like i'm gonna go right over your base beam a light down there too you can't do shit about it that's what some people say they think it's like a show of power type of thing like i can do whatever i want i'm gonna beam everything yeah you got your all nuclear weapons down here look at i'm gonna beam it <laughs> <laughs> 
And I mean, that's pretty much the end ish of like the, the, the story here and what takes place that night, more or less. Now we mentioned Burroughs before this of how he wanted to get out and like, see mm-hmm. what was going on. Mm-hmm. I guess he was eventually led permission to go out into the area. And he claims that he was actually given permission to go up to one of the beams and go into the light. Cause he was thinking Whoa. that this was like what happened to him on the first night and wanted to yeah. experience that again, more or less. And then it's described as that he went into the light and, melted. and I believe like he doesn't remember anything different happening. Nothing like time goes by just a couple seconds yeah. and he's out of it just as he was before but i believe someone else who was with him described it as like he went into the light essentially disappeared for a moment or two and then reappeared so that's the other weird thing i guess that's going on the other encounter that happens this night but in terms of any other encounters happening past this that is the end of our story now it's certainly been added on by these people um the book I got this from was written by, I said, Nick Pope, but uh, Penniston uh, contributes to it and mm-hmm. Cabin Sag, I believe, as well. So it's like they're putting then they have all this additional shit now to get like there's like weirder stuff that they kind of add on to the story hmm. as the years go on. <laughs> okay. All right. Interesting. And Colonel Holt as well. He has his own book. He has something called the Holt Perspective, and it's about 800 pages. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and it's literally just like apparently a whole bunch of clippings of anything UFO alien related that happened in that area leading up to like just of all. And it's it's pretty disjointed. I did not venture into that it's, world. Yeah. Read yeah. that thing. Now, the, the guy I mentioned in the beginning, our, our, our skeptic, uh, Ian Ridpath, he is all about the theory that, yes, it was definitely the lighthouse they were seeing. And on the night in question, when they saw the first nights, there was a uh, apparently either a meteor shower or there was a meteor shower, but there was also a Russian satellite that was apparently going somewhere that would be seen, but not necessarily in the area. And it can be equated for like some people who have talked about or seen the lights definitely probably saw those two things. But the other thing that comes into question is like the actual experience that they had with it and seeing, you know, (laughs) a craft in front of them or seeing a light in front of them, seeing the lights go back up into the air. They saw more, a lot more people apparently saw more light activity rather than just, you know, it falling over right. time more people on the base come out as saying you know they saw stuff in the air they Floating saw similar doing things stuff. could you imagine that since this is like right after christmas that someone on the base just did a terrible prank and put lsd in the punch bowl and then for two solid days they were just tripping so hard mm-hmm. <laughs> like did you did you see well i like to imagine all of this is taking place they were just having a party so a bunch of people are drunk but they're all wearing santa hats for sure oh. mm. <laughs> yes definitely yeah, running man. around the woods uh, all halloween, of them oh my so god they're all in different costumes that would have been fun uh, dude the main guy in charge is just dressed as santa so santa uh-huh. the general santa <laughs> is in charge all those notes you're hearing is, is a guy santa dressed as santa claus costume halt yeah colonel halt 
And the more you look into it, the more weird shit starts to to come out. A lot of people are talking about the conspiracy route, the cover-up route. That's why we can't find any of the documents. Some of the original documents that were released and like signed statements from the first night, Cabin Sog actually says that his document he was just given this document to sign off on because his goes into an explanation oh we were just walking out we kept walking towards what we call the beacon light and then eventually we just realized we were heading towards the beacon light which is the lighthouse and that Mm -hmm. nothing actually happened that night so there's some statements Mm -hmm. like that but then there's other statements by higher ups talking about the character of Peniston and cabin sog saying they definitely saw something weird out there that night. And I believe what they're saying type of thing. So yeah, those are kind of anything past that is missing. Any more of the accounts that are officially written are missing. So a lot of this is coming from word of mouth of Peniston and it's uh, kind of like who you want to believe at this point. Peniston yeah. claims that, you know, he has his notebook of, the events that took place and everything. One of the big things that he claims, because he had that, that that compelling feeling to, you know, return to the site. He also says that the next day he couldn't get like this, this image of ones and zeros out of his head. So he decided to just start writing them down. And once he, he wrote like 12 pages of ones and zeros. And then once he got it out, he said he felt relieved. Like he got that out of his brain. And I think he says that he forgets about it or whatever till he comes back to it at some point or someone's going through the notes that he had. And they're like, what is all this? This looks like binary. And he's like, I don't know. I had that in my head. I wrote it down one night and forgot about it. So they went ahead and translate. Oh God, it's Borg. Right. It's ultimately, it comes back to the Borg because they translate it and it comes out to like all these different weird alien ufo hotspots around the world and like supposed like yeah there's some really weird shit like i'm not even gonna get into all the weird as i heard it called side stories (laughs) of like this adventure and what gets added into here like you can find some really fascinating stuff with it apparently they test the pages or whatever you know carbon dating or whatever to see if because how old or how you know, if it was in the time frame written when he claims it was. Yeah. Because he released this, I think, in 2010 mm. is when he was oh. like, oh, yeah, here's this binary stuff that I did as well the next day. <laughs> you're like, wait, what? How would you not remember <laughs> to put that in? Like, wouldn't that be important? I mean, a lot of these guys wanted nothing to do with it. They just wanted to continue on. But I mean, Peniston has has gone into it. I think he's there's a lot more to these guys and what has happened to them since some of them did become, you know, stayed as career military people. Some of them kind of continued, as they said, Holt was a skeptic turned believer. So he's written his 800 page book trying to explain Mm -hmm. everything. Oh, he's meticulous. So it's got, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just all these different fucking articles. Can't be any less than 800 pages. (laughs) One of the other big things. So the, um, Ian Ridpath guy, he wrote, he's written a whole bunch of articles. He's like a real heavy science dude, just being like, this is all bullshit. Here's why. Here's the official reports. This is why what they said doesn't make sense. And there was someone else in the area called Vince. Well, his name was Vince uh, Thurkettle. He was a forester and he lived in that area. So he had been talked to by a lot of different people. But I think Ian Ridpath interviewed him about all of it. And he's like, yeah, it was definitely the lighthouse. How could they not think it's not the lighthouse? These, the indentations in the ground were actually probably done by animals. Compared them to like animal rabbit markings. And they look kind of, they do look similar enough, but they could be done by that. And he's like, yeah, these tree markings, what they described as rub 
rub offs on the trees or whatever is actually markings that we do to cut down the trees. But I don't know at that point of how much is, you know, yes, that's, that's very true with all that, but based on the, not the evidence, you know, what they saw, who knows it yeah. kind of, <laughs> it's who do you want to believe and and how far into what route do you want to go to? Cause there's, seems to be oh salience absolutely some sort of explanation for a lot of the stuff but at the same time a lot of it is just pretty damn weird yeah no i'm i mean my votes aliens i mean my hope you know aliens or something it's that'd be fun let's live in the fun reality of it yeah right i would i prefer burning man aliens versus you know a lighthouse and a satellite people say it's pranks people say that there's a whole bunch of fun different theories that people have come up for it as well as why is it wasn't what it, what it claims to be. So that's the story of the Rendlesham Forest incident. I highly suggest if you are interested in this to go read Encounter in Rendlesham Forest. It's probably one of, it is, seems to be definitely more leaning towards there's some weird shit going on and it probably really happened type of stuff, but it does explain mm-hmm. all the really funny, weird shit that did happen. And if you really want that skeptics view, go to ianridpath.com and then I think he has a link to his Rendlesham forest ufo case where he wrote a whole bunch of articles and has all his disproof of it as well so thank you for listening to that and we're going to go ahead and take a quick break before we come back with would you rather and we're back thank you so much to our kind sponsor for those lovely words of encouragement so here we are to finish this all off with a little bit of would you rather i don't know why i'm going soft and sensual with it but we're going there it's good it's really good so i'll start us all off with Every time you go to sleep, you get a bonus for life. Which one would you rather pick? Sleep has to be five hours long at least. So I guess every time you go to sleep, you raise your luck by 0.00275%. Okay. Or you get $1. Or extend your lifetime by one hour. Or your intelligence increases by 0.001%. Or reduce global CO2 emissions by 0.01% or become more attractive to the opposite gender. That's your six choices. So you can raise your luck. You can get a dollar. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different options here. So basically, do you want to help yourself or most of the options and there's the one to like reduce co2 emissions mm-hmm. <laughs> and like so that means every like time you go to sleep for at least five hours this happens by 0.1 percent point zero one percent for the co2 emissions point zero zero one percent if you want to increase your intelligence or if you want to increase your lunk lunk <laughs> your luck point zero zero two seven five percent interesting does that make sense yeah i thought i was gonna go luck the whole time until you said the co2 emissions because that's even point zero one percent is a big difference and for five hours sleep i mean it'd save the world <laughs> like yeah yeah i mean essentially you would i mean that'd be good yeah. I, what if you could there's got to be some way you can <laughs> How do you monetize that? No. (laughs) Like, look, guys, I got the cure. You just got to let me sleep. I promise it'll work. Give me money. I promise. (laughs) Just check it. Just check the numbers when I wake up. Yeah, because if you're, what, you're tacking an hour onto your life every time you go to sleep. So you get a day every 24 days, basically. Yeah. If you're sleeping at least five hours a night, you're getting, yeah, a day every 24 days. That is a couple days tacked on for sure. Yeah. Presumably, if you don't die sooner (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, yeah, no, I think honestly, yeah, I think the CO2 emissions, I think that's probably going to be the better universally, I guess. I mean, you're not wrong. Both of you are doing the correct thing. I'm going to go increase my intelligence by 0.001%. I mean, I don't know how much that's going to really increase anything, but let's say it does. Maybe I'll, by getting smarter, I'll solve the CO2 problem, but then that's I'll right. solve other issues too. And you can double up. You I can mean, just that do probably like, won't happen. Yeah. What if you do two five-hour naps a day? I mean, yeah. Every time you could just, just sleep for 10 hours. Well, I, I don't know if you have to like wake up. I don't know if it's like a five-hour... like. It banks every five hours or hmm. if you have to take a break and then sleep again. So since both of you went with the reduce emissions, I'm going to pick that as our answer. There's actually 8,000 votes on this one. Oh, Most people. So we'll start at the lowest. 262 went with get $1 because that realistically, that doesn't seem like a lot of money at all that you'd be getting out of it. Yeah. Uh, the next up is 621 would wanted to extend their lifetime by one hour. 760 chose the intelligence 1.7 thousand are reducing co2 emissions 1.9 thousand are raising their luck and 2.8 decided to become more attractive to the opposite gender oh my god of course it's reddit it's a bunch of kids remember yeah once we got past luck i was like what the hell was the other one i don't even remember (laughs) what's this number one answer yeah so But but it is nice to see that 1.7 did go for the emissions. Yeah. But yeah, raising your luck, people wanted to do, I guess, probably just to get lucky with the opposite gender. They're also thinking that yes. most likely. I would have gotten luck over intelligence or extending life or any of that stuff. Yeah. Because who knows how that's going to manifest. That's <laughs> true. I mean, that's true. That is a good point. All right, Ross, we're going to jump over to you. What do you got for us? All right. This is this is this was a tough one for me. Uh, okay, would you rather be in jail for five years or be in a coma for a decade? Uh, jail for five years. Jail for five years or a coma, a a, a decade long coma. Sam's going to jail. You're going know. to jail. Yeah, I'm going to jail for five years for sure. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Wow. Why so sure on that? A coma. Well, for it's double the time lost. And one, you're still like experiencing the world. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, who knows what it's like in a coma? Well, I guess people have been in comas and come out, but they all have different stories, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. I was thinking of it yeah, as like, you know, your muscles would atrophy. And that's very true. You'd probably get buff in jail. Yeah, oh, totally. The opposite had happened. <laughs> come out swole. Get ripped. The, what else is the there? Right, let's, let's, yeah, let's do a stint. I'll go to jail too. I was thinking the coma, but yeah, I don't want to become all like nothing. You know, with- <laughs> you know how popular D and D is in jail. I Man, I don't even like D and D that much. I'm just saying. <laughs> is it? Oh yeah, very. <laughs> all right, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, we're going to jail. What are you doing, Ross? Just play D and D in jail for five years. Oh shit, man. I I was gonna maybe go coma, but if they got D and D in jail, let's do it. Yeah, and you know, food camaraderie. I mean, you know, you you just learn the ropes and you should be fine. Sure. Sure. Yeah, you just got to get in with the right people. Otherwise, it could be pretty hellish, I'm sure. Pretty detrimental. Oh, yeah. And depends on what jail you're in or like prison, I guess, if you're spending five years there. Yeah. Easy right. one for me. <laughs> Easy for Sam. I think it was a little harder for Ross and I for some reason, but I guess we're all going to jail, it seems like. So to finish us all off. Ooh. Sam, what do you got? Yeah, this one's pretty easy. You're in the woods. You see some lights. They look weird. It's strange, even. What do you do? 
Do you go towards them? Do you stay where you are and observe them? Do you go? Oof. Do you hide? Do you, what? 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 It, what would you do in that situation? God, that's tough. I don't know. I I want to say I would go towards them and want to investigate. I I wouldn't. I, I <laughs> <laughs> don't. Yeah, no. I mean, I would obs- I would probably observe from where I was standing, uh, mm-hmm. and stay very still, like a deer for a while um and then uh i would i would slowly backtrack like danny from the shining like with my footprints <laughs> in the snow backwards i would mm-hmm. yeah i would just i'd be i don't need to know i don't need to know unless it's you know coming at me it's fine you can do whatever you want to all right i think i would do sort of in between i wouldn't go towards them but i want to back away I would start stay where you started, Ross. Maybe I'd like hide behind a tree or something. I'd I'd want to like know more, but I definitely want to not be noticed. <laughs> right. I think that's what I would tr- ultimately do. I would want. So you're to not try- trying to make first contact or anything. Right. I would want to go towards <laughs> it and be more interested in it, but ultimately, would I do that? I don't think so. I um, think I could get enough courage to hang out and look right. at it. Brian, are you are you sure? Because you can literally say "Welcome to Earth." I mean, that is oh the, the 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 chance. If I had that chance, now that you mentioned that, okay. Now that if I had that opportunity, I think I'm gonna take it. That would push me over the edge to to be able to do that. Yeah, there it is. Beautiful. So that's it. That's how we're choosing, and we want to know how you are choosing out there. And how can you do that? You jump over into our Discord, or you can follow any of us on instagram and slasher that is where we hang out the most mm-hmm. and to do that go follow ross at chuddle the ross go follow sam at chuddle the sam and go ahead and follow me at chuddle the brian with a because fuck it on instagram and slasher and follow all of us at chuddle the pod as well and in case you forget any of that information you know what to do go to chuddle the pod.com <laughs> and get all get all of it there that'll lead you to anything uh to get to us basically and we want to hear from you we really do we want to know what you like what you don't like we want to see it in our reviews we would love to to get you um out there and represent and shuttle the pod if you like us let other people know about us it would be so 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 much we appreciate it anyway and thank you so much for listening this far and you know what until next time we'll be waiting What did she say in Psycho Gorman? Frick you. Frig, frig off. Frig off. In the name of the rat, the limp, and the frig off. No, frig off should be the last thing. Instead of amen, oh, it should be frig off. And the shuttle shuttle. Okay. In the name of the, the rat, rat, the limp, and the, and the shuttle, shuttle shuttle, frig, frig off. off. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs>